Can God be measured in any sense of the word? Well, we're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcast.org starting now. Dollars was... Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Wednesday, January the 7th of 2009, and welcome to our next lesson on Knowing God. And, of course, this is a series that we're doing in which we are talking about God's attributes, the things that we can know about God based on Scripture and uh, based on natural revelation as well. A lot of this is logical, and of course that is part of uh, nature's revelation of God. So uh, welcome to our next lesson, and I hope you guys are having a fantastic week and uh, the the new year has gotten off to a good start for you guys. I want to make one quick announcement before we get started with today's lesson, and this isn't going to be a really long lesson as you probably saw when you downloaded this file. But uh, the one announcement that I do have is that there will be no Wednesday lesson next week. We will have a Monday lesson. We're going to have the Romans lesson for next week. But we won't have the Wednesday lesson because I will be out in Charlotte, North Carolina, actually, uh, taking one of the final classes that I have for my seminary training. And this is one of those times, uh, as I said in our last lesson, Uh, on Monday that uh, I have to get a whole semester's worth of lecture in uh, in one week. And man, that is just mentally and even physically exhausting. Because uh, I, I got to tell you, you know, the classes are at night, and you come home from listening to four and a half hours of lecture, and uh, it's hard to go to sleep for a while. So, uh, so it's it's pretty exhausting. So there won't be any um, there won't be any lesson next Wednesday, but we will continue this again in two weeks. So definitely be looking for that. Uh, Like I said, you know, I've just got a couple classes left in seminary. I'm hoping to graduate this May. Uh, So anyway, uh, one other announcement that I want to make, and that is if you are listening to this lesson and you haven't listened to all of the previous lessons, I would strongly suggest that you go back and listen to all of the lessons in our Knowing God series because really there are a lot of philosophical terms that we've introduced along the way. And if you listen to them out of sequence, I realize that it does get a little bit confusing. So if this is your first time joining us, welcome. You know, we're glad to have you. But we do suggest that you go back and listen to all of our Knowing God lessons in order that you can understand some of the terminology that we'll be using today. A lot of it uh, is not common vernacular. So anyway, let's go ahead and get started today with a quick word of prayer. Father God, we just thank you so much for who you are. You are definitely an awesome God, and we praise you and we worship you today. And Lord, I just pray that through this lesson, we'll get to know you uh, just that much more, and uh, that much more accurately. We love you, and we give this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in our previous lesson, uh, the attribute that we discussed was God's immateriality. And this lesson for today is on a similar attribute of God's, which is commonly overlooked, and that is his immeasurability. And uh, that's what some theologians throughout history, such as Aquinas and even back to Irenaeus, have referred to as God's immensity. And I personally don't think that the word immensity fits the bill for this attribute exactly, because 
because the definition of immensity has changed over the years considerably. Uh, it was once used in reference to something that couldn't be measured, but today uh, the common definition of immensity has something to do with the fact that something is large in size, it's uh, it's big, it's enormous, and those are kind of synonyms for immensity. Um, and maybe it's too big or too enormous in size to be measured, but still for the sake of clarity, I believe that immeasurability is a much more appropriate term uh, based on today's vernacular. You know, it would be easy to skip over this attribute since it won't require an enormous amount of discussion. It's pretty obvious based on some of the stuff that we've already talked to leading up to this point. And perhaps this attribute is commonly overlooked because it's so similar to God's attribute of immateriality, which we discussed in our last lesson. However, this is certainly distinct from the attribute of his immateriality, so I do think that it warrants a brief discussion of its own. Now, when we speak of God being immeasurable, we are explicitly inferring that he is non-spatial. Uh, anything which lies within the dimension of space is able to be measured. We don't believe that God lies within space. We believe that God is present within all space, uh, but he is not bound within space. He's not limited by space, in other words. Uh, rather, he's transcendent over all time and space, which is a distinct attribute in and of itself, uh, his transcendence, and we're going to actually cover that in a future lesson, so be on the lookout for that. Now, of course, the Bible does affirm that God is immeasurable. It speaks of God being immeasurable in the verses and passages which pertain to the fact that he is the creator of all material and non-material things, uh, which speak of his transcendence, his being pure spirit, and, as we saw last week, the verses and passages which speak of God being immaterial. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it starts there. It tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And of course, this verse right here is, t is actually speaking of the material universe. It's saying that God created the material universe. Well, God cannot be within or limited by time and space since he existed prior to the beginning of the time-space dimension. In Job chapter 11, verse 7, Job asks, can you probe the limits of the Almighty? And of course, this is a redundant question. The question is actually making a positive affirmation of the fact that God cannot be measured. In John chapter 1, verse 3, uh, it affirms that through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And again, here, the inference is that God exists independently of and distinct from time and space. Uh, and then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6, the Apostle Paul declared that there is, quote, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And this verse right here is speaking of God's transcendence over the time-space dimension. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, again, Paul declares that by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, which, by the way, time out here, uh, when he speaks of visible and invisible, he's speaking of the fact that God created both the material and the immaterial universe. Uh, and Paul continues writing, uh, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And then, of course, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3 tells us that the universe was formed by God's command. So all of these verses speak of God being immeasurable, in a sense. So what we're saying is that because God created all material and non-material things which are within the universe, God cannot be measurable, because only matter is measurable. Trying to measure something which transcends all space, and which 
is beyond all space and time is impossible. It would be somewhat similar to trying to measure the color blue. Uh, the color blue is the color blue in all times and at all places. Uh, even if we don't explicitly call it blue, you know, call it what you will, it's still blue. Uh, and it's also blue outside of the universe. Um, you know, it can't be measured. And so, uh, you know, in the same way or in a similar way, neither can God. Of course, we can logically conclude that God is immeasurable based on some of the other attributes of God that we've already studied. For example, first of all, the fact that God is infinite in being nature and essence leads to the necessary conclusion that God is immeasurable. Uh, And that's because it's impossible for something that is infinite to be measured, because the object being measured could always become either larger or smaller. So God's immeasurability flows logically from his infinite nature. Secondly, the fact that God is eternal implies his immeasurability. Uh, According to modern physics, anything that is outside of time, that is, it's non-temporal, must necessarily also be non-spatial. As an eternal being, God is necessarily non-temporal, and so therefore he is non-spatial as well. So something that is non-spatial is immeasurable. So therefore God is immeasurable based on his eternality. Third, the fact that God is simple leads to the necessary conclusion that he is immeasurable. All things which have parts occupy material space and are divisible. Only something which is measurable can be divided. As a, as a simple being, God cannot be divided, and therefore he is necessarily immeasurable. Uh, fourth, the fact that God is immaterial necessarily implies that God is immeasurable, since only that which is material, that is physical, can be physically measured. Uh, God's not material, he's not physical, uh, and so therefore God cannot be measured. And of course, this is an attribute that I'm not just making up, this is an attribute of God which the Christian faith has affirmed from actually the very earliest church fathers. As uh, And as we read through some of these quotes from, from church fathers throughout the ages, keep in mind uh, that the term that they usually used instead of immeasurable was immense. Uh, one of the first Christian apologists was Irenaeus, who wrote, quote, How can there be any other fullness or principle or power or God above him, since it is a matter of necessity that God, the pleroma, that is the fullness, of all these should contain anything in his immensity and should be contained by no one? But if there is anything beyond him, he is not then the pleroma of all. End quote. Uh, Clement of Alexandria wrote that God is not, quote, in space, but above both space and time and name and conception, end quote. Uh, moving forward through, uh, through history to the Reformation, John Calvin wrote of how the prophet Isaiah, quote, not only charges idolaters as guilty in the eye of the law, but upbraids them for not learning from the foundations of the earth, nothing being more incongruous than to reduce the immense and incomprehensible deity to the stature of a few feet, end quote. So clearly, this is something that uh, the Christian thinkers throughout the ages have affirmed, uh, going back to even the very beginning of Christianity. 
And there have, of course, also been multiple objections to God's immeasurability, and we're going to have time to cover a couple of them here. Uh, first of all, Thomas Hobbes, who was an English philosopher in the 16th and 17th centuries, he wrote that, quote, every part of the universe is body, and that which is not body is no part of the universe. And because the universe is all, that which is no part of it is nothing, and consequently nowhere. End quote. Uh, to sum that up, let me use the words of Carl Sagan, who, of course, was an astronomer and a scientist who was famous for his show called uh, Cosmos, A Personal Journey, and he kind of held the same sentiment, and he summed up the, the same sentiment by declaring, the cosmos is all that was, is, or ever will be. Uh, that sounds awfully similar to our description of God, and sadly, uh, Carl Sagan did die believing this, and shortly thereafter undoubtedly realized that he was completely mistaken. So in response uh, to this, this is called uh, what we would call hard materialism or hardcore materialism. Um, this asserts that everything is material, and uh, in response, it's a self-defeating ideology. Now, I'm sure that a hard materialist would have to admit that the theory that everything is material is itself immaterial. In other words, uh, the idea that everything is material is itself, the idea is not material. There are no particles or molecules in the idea that everything consists uh, of particles and molecules. As Dr. Geisler notes in his book, and by the way, if you want, uh, if you want some more in-depth explanations of these things, I would strongly recommend uh, his Systematic Theology book, uh, Volume 2, which, uh, in which he discusses uh, God's attributes. And of course, uh, you can find that book on BibleStudyPodcast.org on our recommended reading list. But according to Dr. Geisler, he says, quote, No truth about all matter can be dependent for its truth upon matter. For one cannot stand outside all matter to make an affirmation about all matter, and yet simultaneously claim he is really standing inside matter, being dependent on it. End quote. So you might need to go over that quote a few times in order to uh, to give it time to sink in, but this clearly shows that the whole idea of hard materialism is self-defeating. And further, you know, if we're going to go strictly on the evidence, there's ample reason to believe that we were created by something that's above and beyond the material world, something that transcends the material world. You know, there are over 100,000 encyclopedia volumes worth of information in just one strand of human DNA. And it's all organized to a T. I mean, one mistake in there, and we have a problem. I mean, are we really supposed to believe that all that information just kind of randomly rose out of chaos? Come on, please. Uh, you know, if I were to take my computer apart, for example, and stick it in the clothes dryer and just put it on the infinite cycle, uh, you know, just to run forever, would anyone really think that I could possibly open the dryer someday to find that I've got a fully reassembled computer? I mean, that's just, that's simply irrational to believe that that would happen. And it doesn't, that doesn't even explain where the parts of the computer originally came from. You know, in accordance with the second law of thermodynamics, all matter is deteriorating. If that's true, then our universe is not eternal because it already would have deteriorated to the point in which no life could survive. So the materialist position, the hard materialist position is indeed an untenable and it's an, an irrational position. Now, a second objection that we'll cover 
cover real quickly here uh, that I came across as I was looking for objections on the internet is that if God is immeasurable and we're measurable, then we are opposite from God. Uh, We exist and must exist in order to assert that we either do or do not exist. And so therefore, since God is our opposite, he must not exist. Now, in response, uh, this is actually a really silly um, smoke and mirrors argument. The fact that immeasurability and measurability are opposites doesn't reflect the nature of every single attribute other than measurability or immeasurability. We actually share an attribute with God, and that is being. Uh, If this argument were true, this argument that uh, because we're opposite from God in terms of measurability, then because we exist, he must not exist. Uh, If that argument is true, then we could just as easily argue that intelligence is the opposite of non-intelligence. And so therefore, since something with intelligence exists, uh, something which has non-intelligence, such as a rock, or perhaps the person making this argument to begin with, uh, doesn't exist. It's simply not a consistent argument. Now, in closing, again, uh, you know, it's it's no surprise to, to know that the Mormons deny God's immeasurability, and that's because they worship a false god uh, who exists in the material realm and within the time-space dimension. The, the false god of Mormonism has a physical body, according to the writings of Joseph Smith, and is thus measurable. Now, clearly, this is not the true god, uh, which is the god who transcends time and space. And, uh, by the way, that would be the God that we worship. Uh, Process theology also has no possible response here, not a a consistent one anyway. Process theology believes that God is bound by time and space, and it denies the, uh, the position that God transcends much of anything. And this is not to be confused with the position of open theism, although they believe a lot of the same things as open theists. Um, but they part ways with process theology. Open, open theists part ways with uh, process theology at this point. Process theology asserts that God can't transcend time and space, while open theism asserts that God simply won't transcend time and space. Although, to my understanding, they believe that that's by his own choosing. So anyway, we do affirm that God is immeasurable, he is pure spirit, he is eternal, he is infinite, and so therefore he is immeasurable. So anyway, if you guys have any questions, of course, you can always feel free to email me at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. And this is another one of those instances where we, uh, you know, we've got a kind of short lesson here, but we really don't have time to talk about anything else. So... Anyway, hope you guys have a fantastic week. Again, remember, we won't have a lesson next Wednesday, but we will resume this study the week after that. So anyway, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening today. I'll see you next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.